Hello and welcome to Agile Meridian's Agile Shorts. Uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the C-suite and how the C-suite uh, can really benefit and how they can get engaged and benefit from uh, serious uh, changes to their organization, serious improvement opportunities they want to do, whether it's a tool set, whether it's moving into a new market space, whether it's uh, post-mergers and acquisitions type activity, things that are happening for companies that are very large in scale, uh, and how do they maximize those things? How do they get the maximum value, valuable output uh, from these types of activities? We're going to talk about three little tips uh, today on that, three things to focus on and to be concerned about as a C-suite executive uh, when you're going through these types of changes or trying to institute some of these new things. So, Joining me is uh, Coach Kumar and uh, Jolly Ranjan, my partners at Agile Meridian. Hi, guys. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Doing well. So uh, this is a topic uh, that the three of us have talked to quite a few executives about. Uh, I've had the opportunity myself to work with quite a few mid-sized companies where I had a lot of access to C-suites. Um, and they were really looking at those scaling and growing type activities. So these were things that involved um, tool sets that helped them manage larger capacities, but they were also about how do we expand into new marketplaces? How do we bring on an entirely new product line or something that we're not familiar with? Things that were helping them to improve or grow, um, even battle new competitions or new modalities for their products and services that they weren't familiar with. How do we get involved or engaged in those types of things? Um, and, and I think that we, we, when we think about this as, as helping C-suite executives really to get the most out of the, the time, the money, uh, and the effort that's put into this, because it can be very disruptive and very expensive to make some of these improvements. Um, there's, there's three areas that we really want to talk about today briefly. Obviously, they're big topics and can be broken down quite a bit. But that's really about the, the C-suite level executives involvement in these changes, in whatever activity they're trying to do. Um, and and uh, let's talk about that one first, actually. So I wanted to go to you all. What you know, in, in your experiences, what have you seen and, and what have C-level executives talked to you about in terms of their uh, maybe their concerns or, or, or their desires to, to make these changes? And how have you talked to them about their role? In, in these types of activities? Yeah, I, I think it's really important that leadership leads, right, as, as the little thing says there. And what I mean by that is that they uh, don't just sign the check uh, to spend the money, that they're actively involved, engaged, um, um, demonstrating the types of behaviors that they're expecting from people that are the doers, right? So there's leadership, right. there's leaders, and there's doers. And when you think about a leader's role, a leader's role is to you know, sort of move back and forth between those because leaders do do things as well. It's important for them to lead and demonstrate the types of behaviors that they're expecting uh, as an outcome of transformation, whether it's, you know, implementing some new system level um you know, changes or digital transformation or whatever it might be, is that leaders should do more than just sign the check, right? right. What do you What do you think, um, Jolly? Yeah, and and another part of that is the people that they have to work with, uh, who they expect to carry forward that vision. 
uh, one of the most difficult things that I have seen for leaders, especially a big company, right? I mean, uh, small companies are very, uh, it's easy to be more homogenous. Uh, the, the culture can be developed from the inside out. Well, big companies, I, I work with one of the biggest mortgage uh, companies uh, in, in, in the United States, and their biggest problem is they have, they have 20 vendors, at the least, uh, providing different services. How do we, how do they hire the right people? Uh, our executives don't know that, right? Uh, do they have the right mindset? It's very difficult to control. So how do we see these big companies uh, and the leaders in those organizations have the right talent mix and the right mindset is a huge challenge for them. Uh, I think they, I have seen them struggling with that very, very often. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right on that. that. That's a great transition into that second point. You know, having the quote, the right people, right? It's not always the most subject matter, the highest level of subject matter expertise in something, because those people may or may not be motivated for the changes that you're looking for. They, they may be motivated uh, for, for different types of different activities. So it, it's that combination, Jolly, like you said, of, of desire and motivation, alignment to the mission, right? Um, that and, and really, if you think about it, the folks that are on that left-handed side of the of the adoption curve uh, that are real innovators and fire starters, and they want to always constantly be improving, you want to build a team of folks like that because they will engage you for that. Uh, they won't be intimidated by the C-suite situation where maybe they haven't had a lot of interactions with this yet. They're put in charge of doing a lot of very important things that are going to move a lot of important pieces for the company. Um, and you're really going to have that tie-in and buy-in. And it makes it easier for you as a C-level executive to get engaged because they're not going to keep you at hand's length. They're going to suck you in. They're going to pull you into this and make you really involved because they want to see this change as well. So they may be learning a little bit as they go, um, but with any change, with any major improvement, that's the key. And those folks are going to help you establish that environment and help you build the new culture that is going to sustain and promote whatever new changes you're doing. And second, a big reason for the C-suite being involved, as, jo or as, as Kumar said, is really about having the ability to influence the culture and influence the environment. C-suite level executives are the ones that have the most influence over both of those things. Um, we talk about ground up culture and everything else, but you, it has to be an environment that allows for that. And that's where the C-suite needs to be engaged in being participative with those teams to make those environments happen. This really um, reminds me of the, the TLT um, um, pattern, leadership pattern, tight, loose, tight, um, where leadership is tight on vision uh, outcomes, uh, loose in the middle in terms of how that vision is implemented and tight again on measures and feedback right. that are given to the doers, right? That are actually implementing this. And, you know, that's that's how leadership can lead at all levels of an organization is to be really crisp and clear and provide clarity to the people doing the work. Uh, and of course, the you know, having the right people is super important and critical. And I wanted to ask this, Jolly, uh, for you, you know, the, the company that has the 20 vendors, how, how do they determine whether the vendor has the right mindset for their transformation or or is it more of um, 
um, a, uh, you know, let's throw some spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, uh, that's that's more like our culture. Yeah, and, and that, that was a difficult thing for um, any company to do, not, not just the big, big ones, right? Uh, the, it, it, it was a multi-year effort to get to that point. And some companies, rightly or wrongly, uh, decide that the, the coaching or the help that they get for the transformation is not for the vendor, right? It's just for our people. It's not for the vendors. The vendors can do what they want. Um, uh, we cannot change them. We are not paying to change them uh, because they, we are paying for the services. It is up to them to, to fix those problems. Uh, but the, the right companies uh, or, or the companies who do it right invest in those vendors as well and bring them along. Uh, and, and that is what the big company did. Um, they, they made that extra effort. They brought these uh, vendors and suppliers into the, the boot camps, into the dojos. They, they grew them as part of the team, invested in them. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was expensive, no doubt about that. But that made it a much bigger uh, impact, that had a much bigger impact on, on, on the team as a whole, rather than just the full-time employees, so to speak. Uh, that investment is what it takes. And it takes a long time. It is not uh, just a one-month, six-month effort. It took them close to four years to get to that point. But then what happened was the subsequent work that the vendors did, they were also cognizant of who they were putting in, rather than just getting bodies so to speak, right? Ever cognizant of what kind of culture we need to keep this client happy, to maximize the outcomes we are delivering for this client. And mm -hmm. that had a huge impact in the long run. So it took a long time, but we got there. And, and the senior leadership had a huge hand in that. They pushed for it along with the vendors, along with the people in the company, and, and that had a huge impact for them in the long run. You know, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, it's... I had the opportunity uh, about a week ago to to work with a, a CFO that I'd worked with in the past, a CFO um, in the past, uh, Dan Petschke, who uh, who was a CFO for Velocio uh, down in, in Columbus. And we were he and I were having a we, we actually had a session where we we were talking about some of these topics um, on a day long uh, virtual um, uh was in a seminar. It's kind of like a, a virtual conference, right? Uh, different topics. And and we went into those types of things. I think he brought up an example uh, of something like you were talking about, Charlie, with this. And and, and I was talking about a, a physical example in the real life where we have uh, in my city, they're putting a roundabout in the downtown area, uh, major project, right? Three, four year type project, big investment, everything else. And this is going into a town that was built during the industrial revolution, the industrial age, right? It's a when rubber was king around our area, right? So um, the buildings are old, the infrastructure is old. There's a lot of undocumented work that's done everywhere up and down this, this street in the downtown area, inclusive of the buildings and everything underground. Um, and they were finding all kinds of things. And they did what I found what was interesting. I didn't realize this. They did a year and a half's worth of work that happened that nobody ever saw that was happening before they ever broke ground anywhere around where the roundabout was going in. Um, and it was finished in like three years. So half of the work was work that was unseen. It was prep to get it ready. Um, but, but, you know, in their case, 
you would be, you would know right away if you made a mistake, if you hit a water main, if a building falls down, you know, the street collapses, you kind of like, you know, in, in these cases where these CEOs and, and the, the C-level, suite level groups that we're working with, they don't necessarily have that kind of feedback in what they're doing uh, with their things. So they may not know for years uh, as to whether they're getting out of it what they wanted to get. Um, and, and so, so getting that prep work, and this is what Dan was really kind of focusing on as a CFO experience CFO was that prep work is invaluable. It, it, you have to have that prep work done if you want to maximize the financial return and the, the, as we were all calling it a little earlier today, the, the maximum valuable output, the, the maxed out value and out of the outcomes that you're getting from whatever it is you're trying to do. And it's really, really important to make sure that that is a component of what you're doing in that prep work. Yeah, it kind of rem uh, it reminds me of uh, a client that we supported and they, they went on this um, sort of long and very um, methodical uh, two-year change management effort to prepare the organization's a large Fortune 50 company uh, prepare the organization for the change that was coming, right? The transformation that was coming. Um, and before they brought us agile guys in, right? To um, help um, uh, the teams pick up new skills, new patterns for working and delivering that value. And um, um, uh, again, it was a two year effort. You know, they brought us in, we did a bunch of interviews for executives around the world that worked for this organization. And what was striking to us was the message that they, you know, the, the answers they gave to our questions. They were pretty uniform. You know, it, apparently they'd all had enough prep, preparation for this change that was coming where they were saying all the right things. Whether they were going to do all the right things was still an open question, right? Whether they had the right people or not. But still, the preparation was really important for that organization to lay that groundwork in all the stuff that was invisible. And I, I suspect that it had an effect on their future success because we were just brought in to do that study. Are they ready for Agile? And the determination from by us and by them was, yes, we're ready for Agile. Let's go do it. And, um, and so we didn't get to see the fruits of, of our or their labor. Um, however, it, it kind of reminds me what you were talking about, the preparation being so important, the right, right. people being so important. Uh, and, and what struck me from what you were saying, Jolly, about your experience was it's almost like these vendors were not just vendors. They were really partners, you know, really closely intertwined with the success and the outcome of the transformation, right? Yeah, and, and, in, and the communication in that sense, the preparation that uh, you and, and Mike were talking about goes beyond the four walls of the company, right? Uh, we have the CSO suite and the leadership that, that works with them. But then you have to bring in those partners from outside and make them part of the journey as well. Uh, they, you know, many many vendors are 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 motivated to give lip service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be agile. We we are agile. What do we have to do now? <laughs> right. I mean, so most vendors are extremely motivated to say that they are uh, part of the journey and and they are already well versed in all of this change that we are trying to bring. But the, the true buy-in comes when that partnership works really well together. And, and the vendor leadership or the supplier leadership is equally part of that journey, not just the people who work in the teams, 
but the leadership is equally part of it. And obviously, they can take that skill set, they can take that those values somewhere else as well, right? It is not just for them, it is not just for this client, they can take it somewhere else. So being part of the journey is extremely valuable for them, not just for the vendor for the client that they're working with, for them in the future as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I wanted to sort of touch back on what you were you were saying earlier uh mike and on the maximum value outcome and i suppose from a cfo's perspective it's about maximizing value right absolutely um, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and your discussions within this panel yeah absolutely and, and it, this was a key right it's like you're, you're going to spend the money you're going to spend the time and the effort the the frustration the risk involved everything else you're going to do to do these major improvements changes uh, adoptions you know that we're talking about um you want to achieve that maximum valuable outcome and um you can you can do it uh Believe it or not, it's that slowing down to speed up with all the preparation and the right teams and then you being a part of that journey. Those three things that are so often skipped or missed a lot of times because maybe this isn't your first time trying to do this. Maybe it's your second or third or you're brought in as the C-level executive to try it the third time because the first two times failed. So you're already the, the clock started before you ever even started the job. Right. So so you're under this pressure to 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 start doing things. And it's going to be it's going to be very interesting because you need to you need to get that opportunity to, to quickly come up to speed and find out what has been done and what didn't what was missed. Because the likelihood is if 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 something didn't go well, if you didn't achieve that maximum valuable outcome, that really that thing you were able to forecast and say, this is what we're going to get if we do this. Um, the likelihood is one or or multiples of those three things that we just mentioned either got minimized or completely overlooked or, or they weren't or they weren't um, they weren't uh, they weren't important enough in the plan, in the activities going on, um, because what we've seen um, in talking with Dan and other executives and what we've seen with what we've done, the, the folks that have done that. It seems like it's a longer thread, but the minute the, the rubber hits the road, they're rolling and they're getting instant value back and repetitively and it's sustainable and, and it's it's returning way more than what they forecast <coughs> because they didn't they got all those unknowns known before they they got into breaking ground, you know, as we said with the civil engineer example, right? Uh, you didn't you didn't hit any you didn't hit anything that you didn't know was there. Um, it was all known. Um, now, obviously, there's a balance of that uh, with deadlines and everything else, but you can't ignore those three things. They have to, as a C-level executive, you have to be able to guide and influence that into the thinking of board members, of investors, of venture capital groups, of stake shareholders, whatever, whoever you're answering to, that has to be a part of it. And putting that value outcome and the why around the what and the how is going to be really helpful for you to be able to, to, to make these impressions happen and to make these things happen in, in real time. Yeah. Again, I, I think uh, 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 I see a really strong connection with TLT, right? The, the tight, loose, tight, tight uh, leadership pattern where that bottom tight, the, the measures, the feedback, the um, uh, lends itself so well to this, um, we're coining at the MVO, right? To, to contrast with the MVP, the minimal viable product, 
from a CFO's perspective or a C-suite's perspective, it's the maximum valuable outcome that um, yes. they can uh, realize from the investment that they're making. Right, exactly. And I think that to keep those three things in tune and in play are really going to give you the best opportunity you have to achieve that maximum valuable outcome uh, for what you're doing. And if you can tune that into your program, you're going to find that you're going to be more successful uh, in, in a quicker frame of time uh, than you would be if you tried to start breaking ground right away and tried to handle the situations you uncover as you go. Right. Um, just a short plug for a meetup that uh, I'm co-hosting with um, uh, my buddy, uh, Chel Torre, next month, November 17th. And it's uh, talking about uh, TLT and OKRs, uh, out, uh, objectives with key results, and sort of how the, these two patterns can coexist and even sort of uh, improve on each other's uh, strengths, right? So um, we'll put a post out soon, and and, and uh, so you'll be able to join that. And, and to your point, Kumar, one other plug. I know the three of us do this all the time, but it's good to let people know reach out to us. If you're interested in finding out more about these types of situations, the experiences we've had, even connecting you with other CF, C-level executives that have had success yeah. and what they did. Um, I know I've done that quite a bit. I, I know both of you have done that before and saying, hey, you know, I, I can come in here and talk to you, but let's talk to another C-level executive that's actually done this and have them tell you what the value was of doing these three things when they went through a major uh, event in their organization or tried to do an, a major improvement uh, in what they were trying to do. So we should try to get one of them um, on our show. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that would be a, a great follow up to this. Yeah. Any any parting thoughts, Jolly, Mike? No, I mean, I, I, I go back to what, you know, Mike, you uh, said before, um, the, the right people, um, the right mindset and focusing on those outcomes are, are what gets you to that place that you're looking for. Uh, most of the time, the transformations uh, start out with, with a core vision and then it gets kind of diluted over a period of time. But if you stick to that uh, core message that, that you had in the beginning, have the right people and leadership in place, that, that is the way to maximize the value outcomes that you're looking for. Agreed. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's a wrap for our um, Agile short. We kept it to just a tad over 20 minutes. <laughs> so still pretty short. I hope short you enjoyed fish it. for us. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's right. We do have <laughs> <let it> talk. <laughs> all right. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank Bye you, everyone. All.